This podcast is sponsored by Media First, who design and deliver bespoke media, message development, presentations and crisis communications training. Find out more by visiting mediafirst.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the media landscape. I'm Julia Bell, coming to you from isolation. Uh, I guess I'm one of the many in London caught by what I imagine is this Omicron variant. Uh, And I'm feeling okay. just mostly the the main theme is just mildly irritated that I have to isolate until Christmas Eve. And so, quite frankly, taking you through the week's news and preparing you for what's ahead will be a welcome distraction from bouncing off the walls. (laughs) Um, So today, much like last week, the news is overrun by concern and debate over whether this record-breaking spread of COVID cases in the UK may cancel or at least change our current Christmas plans. We know that the Welsh government have announced that nightclubs will be shutting and social distancing will be expected in workplaces from the 27th of December. Plus, they're banning spectators from sporting events from Boxing Day. Scotland have reflected that somewhat. Uh, They've limited numbers on indoor events and outdoor events. And they've even cancelled Edinburgh's Hogmanay street party. But the latest from the Westminster government, as of Tuesday the 21st of December, is to hold tight. No more restrictions in England before Christmas. What I can say tonight is that naturally we can't rule out any further measures after Christmas and we're going to keep a constant eye on the data. But in view of the continuing uncertainty about several things, severity of Omicron, uncertainty about the hospitalisation rate or the impact of the vaccine rollout and the boosters, we don't think today that there is enough evidence to justify any tougher measures before Christmas. So we'll talk through the headlines surrounding that and why this theme of public trust keeps just biting the government in the backside. Plus, let's talk about Pret, the sandwich chain and a subscription related controversy that they faced this week and whether or not they went about it the right way. And of course, we can't forget this week's journo on the go, who is the legendary Channel 4 and ITV News journalist and presenter, Kami Naziram, who spoke to me about the lessons we can learn from the government about how not to answer journalists' tough questions. Okay, so the latest is that the PM is not cancelling Christmas, but we shouldn't necessarily hold our breath for a a raucously eventful New Year, for example. But even in the meantime, even now, while we're not seeing kind of more restrictions being added on, it does feel like the public are taking matters into their own hands because swathes of people are cancelling their pre-Christmas social events and social plans. And so the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, has responded to that. Well, I know the current situation is very difficult, especially for those in the hospitality industry. So today we're announcing three new measures to help people and businesses. Firstly, we're announcing a billion pounds in financial grant support, which means eligible hospitality companies will be able to claim a cash grant worth up to £6,000. Secondly, we're providing £30 million to top up our successful cultural recovery fund to support institutions like theatres and museums. And lastly, we're reintroducing our statutory sick pay rebate scheme so that small and medium-sized companies can claim compensation for the government for the costs of sick pay for their employees. Rishi Sunak there announcing this £1 billion support package. And it just, I mean, I don't know about you, but it brings back to me this sort of awful sense of deja vu because... 
you know, support packages and government restrictions, uncertainty about Christmas. It just feels a bit 2020. But of course, there are some very key differences, one of which is rather undeniably the fact that Boris Johnson's position is kind of weaker than ever. We've just seen this week, for example, Lord Frost's resignation being the Brexit minister. He's leaving based on, quote unquote, concerns over the government's direction of travel. Ultimately, that's just politicians speak for, we can't agree and I've had enough. And it seems that he couldn't agree on these COVID restrictions. And then number two reason why we're in a different place this year, I think, is yet again, this public trust piece. Because even since I spoke to you last week, we've had more pictures surfacing of what appears to be just blatant rule breaking. And this time it's with the Prime Minister himself and you can see his wife and apparently up to 17 staff members at what looks very much like a garden party pictured on Monday's Guardian front page. But it supposedly took place on the 15th of May 2020 when absolutely garden parties and socialising of that kind was not allowed. Dominic Rabb was asked about this this week on Good Morning Britain. But I have to say his answers raised more questions than I had to begin with. I think in relation to that photo, there'd been a number 10 press conference, there'd been meetings throughout the day, and uh, during the course of that, uh, uh, drinks would be, uh, drinks may be had, and that was, of course, uh, consistent with the regulations and is different from the rules on social mixing. It's important to remember that number 10 is both the home to the Prime Minister and his family, but also is, is where his office is, and uh, the garden backs on to um, uh, the, 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 the workplace uh, offices. Deputy Prime Minister and Justice Secretary Dominic Rabb on Good Morning Britain there justifying the recently revealed Downing Street photographs from lockdown last year. And I saw um, this tweet by the TV personality Richard Osmond, uh, the one that's in Pointless, and he he tweeted on Monday the 20th of December saying, quote, I'm thirsty. Is it too early for a work meeting? Okay, Pret. Let's talk about them. Um, well, they're, do you know what? I was actually going to say they're in hot water, but it appears they're very short on beverages. So let's not use that terminology. Essentially, Pret-a-Manger launched this subscription service in September 2020, where customers pay £20 a month for unlimited access to various hot and cold beverages, including coffee, hot chocolate, smoothies, and all that sort of stuff. But... According to the BBC, they've had 5,000 complaints due to a lack of availability of, of these drinks offered in the deal. And one particular disgruntled customer by the name of Isabel tweeted, I've been to four preps this morning and they've, quote, stopped doing smoothies. Is this because of the subscription? The smoothies were a key part of me wanting to sign up. Now, when I read about this, I didn't know about this deal. I hadn't heard about it. So I'm just looking at their website now and do you know what I can't see, at least from the outset, is any small print, you know, that says like subject to availability or we might stop doing smoothies because you guys keep drinking them. There's, there's none of that. And so this is where the Advertising Standards Authority have weighed in because they've informed Pret that, quote, their ads should not state or imply that the service was available in all store locations or that it covers their entire range of products if that isn't the case. I think it's at that point that I would expect Pret to admit that this subscription service is 
not all it could be. You know, I think that's a fair way of saying it. But this is actually what they said. Quote, We have spoken with the ASA to ensure all prep marketing for the coffee subscription is in accordance with their latest guidance. I mean, if you reasonably read into that, it basically says, we don't think we're doing anything wrong. You know, you can't help but think there's an aim here to acknowledge this as little as possible in the hope that it will just go away. But if you sign up to a subscription that promises a product or a service and then you cannot access said product or service while you remain paying the price every month, I'd, I'd say something's wrong with that picture. In fact, while we're talking about Christmas and brands just kind of missing the mark, I don't know if you heard about the Tony's chocolate advent calendar debacle, because this is worth mentioning, actually. Basically, the brand Tony's chocolate, you'll have seen them with the really brightly coloured kind of vintage packaging. They tweeted on the 8th of December, notice something different in your calendar today. Yep, it's empty. And why? Because at Tony's, we use our products to tell the story of the choco industry, an industry unequally divided and chock full of inequality. So yeah, they had an empty advent calendar window and the empty window was supposed to sort of draw attention to um, poor human rights standards in, in the cocoa industry and the likes of Ghana and the Ivory Coast. Of course, brilliant to raise awareness about this, uh, especially within their own industry and to point to issues within it. But... It kind of fell flat amongst lots of their customers, you know, many of whom complained saying, you know, why are you punishing us? Us being the ones who are paying above the odds to support your cause that we're already on board with. Uh, also, they faced backlash from parents of children with ADHD, for example, who found it particularly damaging um, to have that sort of negative surprise, if you like, of an empty window where they were understandably expecting something to be. But in a different way to Pratt, Tony's Chocolate owned it. Uh, so this is what they said, quote, We failed to consider the difficulties that empty windows can cause for neurodivergent children and adults. We have more to learn in considering how we can make our products all inclusive as possible. We have more to learn. I, I think that phrase showed ownership. You know, they didn't say that we know nothing, but it also didn't pretend that they got everything right. Time now for our journo on the go. Channel 4 and ITV News journalist and presenter Kami Nazarum. We started off talking about how it's very clear that government officials are getting sick of all of these questions about this sort of alleged rule breaking that seemed to take place an awful lot last year. Uh, and they're very clearly keen to switch the focus onto all the good they're doing, you know, with booster rollouts, for example. So I asked Kami, you know, what do they need to do to remain in control of that narrative? Well, they, they could try adhering to their own rules for a start, <laughs> but that, has, that clearly hasn't happened and you can't turn back the clock, can you? So they're in a very tricky spot, actually. And listening to listening to ministers and listening to the prime minister when he speaks, you know, they, they employ the classic tactics that a lot of uh, a lot of organizations will recognize if they've had media training, which is to uh, certainly if something has gone wrong to acknowledge that something has gone wrong to try and illustrate some element of care and compassion, but then to, to bridge back to what they do want to be talking about, which is following the rules and uh, adhering 
to social distancing measures. But there's lots and lots of problems here. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting you mentioned that word bridging because there was an interview that I wanted to hear your thoughts on where Boris Johnson was asked about, and it is a tricky question, no one's going to want to answer this. He was asked about the safety of his position in his role as prime minister. And Johnson accused the interviewer of breaking the quote-unquote golden rule. If it was in the interests of the country, if it was in the interests of the Conservative Party, would you resign? Sam, can I just remind you everything I've been saying throughout this interview, which is that that is exactly the kind of question that qualifies, that breaks the golden rule. What we're focusing on is getting the job done. What is he talking about there? What, what is this golden rule, do you think? He's talking about lots of things, but essentially he's saying, you've asked me a question that I don't want to answer. <laughs> um, you know, that, that's code for lots of things. Political journalists know stuff that the rest of us don't. So that, that it probably belies a little bit of fear that mm. Sam Coates, who's the Sky News um, uh, journalist who's asking the question, is uh, is alluding to stuff that he can't quite say, uh, but more but more front of centre, he is blaming the messenger for answer, asking a question that he finds uncomfortable. Um, finally, can I just ask you what kind of angles and stories are you preparing yourself to cover? If you could get out your crystal ball, where do you think the news is heading over the next two weeks to a month? How depressing are we talking? So the departure of Lord Frost is really, really interesting because it opens up so many fractures in the current government and the current leadership. Now, the immediate question, of course, is, well, does this mean that a leadership challenge is imminent? The fact is, this is a very, very toxic time in politics and it's unlikely that anybody is going to want to inherit this box of frogs right now. You've got Christmas, you've got Omicron, you've got business meltdown, uh, lots and lots of reasons that would make anyone with serious leadership ambitions not want to have anything to do. They, you know, they want to keep their powder dry. They want to keep their reputation clean. Right. What we do have, of course, is the likelihood that Omicron is going to go up and then back down again. And then there's local elections in May. So all of that suggests that there will be a lot of, you know, sharp elbows uh, and, and a lot of the, the rumor mill is absolutely going to go into overdrive. But I'd be very surprised mm-hmm. if Graham Brady gets the number of letters he would need to trigger a leadership challenge uh, until a the immediate COVID problems have at least started to recede a little bit. But my crystal ball is... <laughs> it's misty. <laughs> to say the least. Thank you, Kami, and thank you for listening. That's all from me today. I'll be back to walk you through the media landscape, not next week, but the week after. So we're going to have a Christmas break. Links to get in touch and to read the Media First blog are all discoverable in the episode description. And make sure you subscribe before you leave. Have a fantastic festive period. Take care. 
The Media Landscape is produced by 37 and sponsored by Media First. You can find out more about each company by visiting 37.agency and mediafirst.co.uk. The show is produced, edited and hosted by me, Julia Bell. James White is our executive producer and we'd love to hear your thoughts. So drop us a line to themedialandscape at 37.agency. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you like to get your podcasts and leave us a nice review.